You are listening to the Obstructed View at Sucks podcast. Presented by Beyond the Monster. Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Obstructed View Red Sox podcast, and happy Thanksgiving. We're coming at you the day before Turkey Day, and uh, we got some topics to go over, specifically the Red Sox hiring Andrew Bailey officially to be the new pitching coach. Um, He was introduced to the media on Tuesday night uh, on Zoom, but before we get into Andrew Bailey, I'm going to introduce, this is supposed to be our Friendsgiving episode, and We've got no friends, so it's just uh, Jamie and I. Uh, we are going to uh, bring you this uh, this special no friends giving episode of the Obstructive View Red Sox podcast. Our co-hosts are currently MIA. Um, Jamie, how are we doing on this uh, fine, cold day before Thanksgiving? We're doing good. I mean, I think our co-hosts are missing out a little bit. To let you know, uh, we still got a power team going. I'm just happy to be talking about baseball the day before i eat enough food to probably go into a food coma by this time on a uh, turkey day yeah no tomorrow is uh you know typically turkey uh well i meant so i'm gonna ha- i mean people might have ham or they might do the turducken or i don't know whatever but um yeah turkey stuffing um really kind of just looking forward to the basics uh tomorrow um red sox though did hire andrew bailey so that's official uh he was announced to the media like I said, a few minutes ago um, on Tuesday night, few takeaways um, from that press conference. Um, one was his pitching philosophy. And he said to the media that strikes are everything. And my first reaction when I read the quotes on Twitter was no shit. Um, like I, you know, I, yes, yeah, strikes are everything in baseball. Um, but if you start to uh you know peel back the onion a little bit to the to that comment, um Andrew Bailey's staff in the in the time that he was with the the Giants was sixth in baseball with a 3.80 ERA. They had the fewest most home runs allowed with 525, and that was from 2020 to 2023. Also the fewest walks in the majors with 403, which reflects the sentiment of strikes or everything. So while I initially said, yeah, no shit. And I'm sure others probably did too. Um, he's backed that up with his staff. They don't walk anybody. And that was something that, you know, last season when the Red Sox went and they they signed a handful of these pitchers, specifically Corey Kluber, who never walked anybody, seemed to walk the absolute world before he went on to the, to the injury list. So it was good to kind of hear this from Bailey. He is taking over a Red Sox team that's ranked that was ranked 21st in ER, team ERA, 4.52 last season. Opponents at 256 last year against them, which was 24th in baseball. And the Red Sox gave up 208 home runs. So um strikes are everything. And just kind of wanted again your quick thoughts on at least that. Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like one thing that you saw a lot last year is um especially with Bayo and some of the other young guys, I feel like their starts starts got cut a little short because their pitch counts were high due to them walking guys or kind of having long counts. Um, so to have a guy like Bailey 
have that be a point of emphasis is good to hear. Um, I feel like it's one of those things, like you said, that's obvious that strikes are important. Um, but especially when it comes to pitching deep into games, you know, that becomes even more key to not running up the pitch count and being at like, you know, 80 pitches after four innings. The the strikes are important piece too. I don't want to go and say that that wasn't important to the Red Sox because um, at Polar Park, you know, in the clubhouse, the Red Sox basically kind of had um, their internal Bible of what they believed in that was on this bulletin board. And one of one of the main things was the emphasis of throwing first pitch, first pitch strikes and attacking the strike zone. But the difference between putting something on a bulletin board and the actual execution was completely different. And that happened way too much at the major league level. You saw that too at times in, in the minor league level. An example is is Brian Mata. You know, it was early on in the season before he went on the IL and missed the time that he that he did this year. I've never seen a professional pitcher hit four out of five batters in one inning and also walk somebody. Um, they have a lot of pitchers that have really good stuff. It's about what can they do to reel that in. And that's what Bailey's going to be tasked with. I mean, he's only been on the job now for 24 hours, but you know that he's been doing stuff behind the scenes which is evident because he reached out to Chris Sale, which we'll get into in a little while. But this this is a good move. I You know, Bailey coming here is a good move because, one, when's the last time that Red Sox fans, you know, th- there's been there's been excitement over a hire of a pitching coach? Obviously, yeah. it helps to be pitched in this market before. But to me, in my opinion, I know that he wanted to get to the East Coast. Giants are crazy to let him go. But with, with numbers like that, you know, he worked with Kevin Gosman, who went from the Orioles to the Giants, turning himself into an ace. He gets paid. He worked with Logan Webb. Um, there was another uh, another arm too, Carlos Rodon. When Rodon was out in San Francisco too, um, it just seems like, again, it's almost like certain stars align. You got Breslow pitching you know basically guru i guess in the game now you're bringing in this guy it's starting to align together and hopefully now we can see these pieces come together because he did bring up brian bayo in, in the press conference and he thinks that brian bayo can go from where he's at to someone that can be a frontline starter and i'm happy that again another person is recognizing that from the red sox perspective but i don't want them to rush that yeah i think one thing that starts me about the press conference too was when he was asked, he referred to the position, he said, it's not, you know, it's not something you want to turn down or that it was a rare um, opportunity, which I feel like was refreshing to hear, especially after during the first weeks of the GM search. You know, a lot of talk was about how it wasn't the most desirable position. Um, you know, and they ended up with a great hire in Breslau, but it was nice to hear Bailey kind of say that this would be a position that, especially from a pitching coach point of view, uh, would be hard to turn down. Yeah, you know, and then, few other pieces of that press conference um you know that I thought was important that were that were takeaways and we might do another article I mean we wrote I think four articles on, on the Andrew Bailey press conference uh, at Beyond the Monster Substack um but this year that players are never finished products whether you're a top end starter or you're down uh and on the option train um if we're ever in that if we're ever in a if we're ever a little bit complacent 
in that negativity can creep in and poor performance. And I got to tell you, it did feel like that at times. And it's actually kind of felt that way sometimes over the last couple of years that there's been sometimes this like complacent, stagnant, you know, I, I feel they've been complacent when it comes to Chris Sale. And I say that in the respect of not the talent because he, when healthy, he is a talented baseball player. He's a great pitcher. He's not the same arm that he used to be. We can use semantics and, and hash out whether you think that he's a two, three, or wherever he's at now. But when I say complacent, I think the front office was complacent because they relied so much on Chris Sale the last handful of seasons that they took money that they should have put into the rotation, allocated it elsewhere. And for the most part, the results were in the pudding. This team was not a competitive baseball team. So I'm hoping that that line there and being, if we're ever a little bit complacent in that negativity can creep in and poor performance. I hope that he means that too, in just the overall global aspect of the Red Sox, because that to me, that line sums up the last couple of years. And I, and look like Heimblum, very, he was very, like I said, very good to me in, in the time that I've gotten to know him, but that line there by Andrew Bailey to me sums up the Red Sox, the last handful of seasons, complacency, poor performance. And I know he's talking about the pitchers, but I hope that he brought that up in his um, interviews and meetings with this organization. And that was basically his mission statement because I like, to me, that resounded to me be besides the strikes for everything, which again, no shit. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I feel like especially kind of this past year when injuries, you know, injuries hit. Um, it didn't really seem like they had enough depth to really cover it, uh, which obviously, you know, you expect to get a lot more out of Kluber. You can have predicted the craziness, I guess, in terms of how Chris Hale got hurt. Um, but it does kind of feel like the past couple of years that it's kind of just kind of been like patching the holes from a pitching point of view. Um, in a market like Boston, especially when you're supposed to be competitive, you know, every year. Um, you know, like you said, that complacency of just hoping it's going to work out and kind of plugging in pieces, you know, that's not, I feel like that's just not always a great situation to be in. Well, I know you just said that you can't go and predict Chris Sale and injuries, but he's, I think he's like the poster child of guarantees when it comes to that, because it has been so profound and whether it's freak injuries or not a line drive off of your hand, that's a freak injury. Um, breaking your wrist, riding a bike. Again, I don't know how that happens, but um, you know, breaking your rib before spring training, you know, throwing so hard. My my thing would be, and we'll segue now into the Andrew Bailey piece with Chris Sale. Bailey reached out to Chris Sale during the interview process, basically when he was essentially a free agent pitching coach, um, and talked with with Sale. And I, I like that because one, it allows Bailey to kind of get the pulse from, even though he's not the ace, he still kind of is the leader of the rotation, you know? And I think you can, I think you can be the, you can, there's a difference between being an ace and being the, like the leader, I guess, in this, in this specific sense, um, you know, the Red Sox need to get that ace, and I think that they're going to do that. But, you know, his, his uh, quote in the uh, presser was, I'm looking forward to grow that relationship and be alongside him and uh, 
for a really long time. He's been around the game of baseball and has seen a lot to multiple levels. And I think our ability to have honest conversations, tell each other yes, tell each other no, and operate in a professional manner is great. I read that as Andrew Bailey is getting a head start and saying, I know you want to go balls to the wall, but we need to we need to reel it back a little bit. You can't be full throttle from the rip. And we need to figure out and manage you in a way that we can get you out of a full season. So where we need to tell each other yes and tell each other no. I don't think enough people have told Chris Sale no with, with, the, with the Red Sox organization the last handful of seasons. Maybe in the respect of we're going to have Corey Kluber open up on opening day. Maybe in that case, you told him no, that might have should that could have been a yes. But I think there's been way too much placating to Chris Sale because of the name cache of Chris Sale versus what he's been on the baseball field, lack thereof, the last couple of seasons. I I'm sure he's probably talked to some other people, but the only other area of this quote too that gives me some cause for concern is that I would be around him uh, for a long period of time. I hope that doesn't mean an extension. I don't think they should extend Chris Sale after this season. Um, I would move on, but if the money's right, I guess um, again, you can read into anything you want, but your assessment thoughts on Bailey and sale and their uh, little chit chat, Gavin, like a bunch of gals. Chit chat with a bunch of gals is perfect. Um, I think it's good to see him already reaching out, you know, not wasting any time having, you know, former relationships with the staff. Um, I feel like that's a good point that they do not kind of keep keep it slow with him and not go full throttle right off the bat. Um, But I think just from my point of view, it's good to see that Bailey is already, you know, reaching out to the staff and not wasting any time getting acquainted with these pitchers, Um, especially a guy like Sale that, as long as he's healthy, should in theory play a big piece next year. Um, and having that relationship with Bailey is going to be huge. Yeah. Um, again, hopefully, and I'm, I'm sure that the Red Sox and Bailey and Breslow uh, and Cora have already had these conversations. I, and again, I know he's been on the job for a day, but let's be real here. Um, in the grand scheme of things, they've, they've had these conversations. I think they know where they want to go with the direction of first sale. I just want the Red Sox to do what's right for the Red Sox and what's right for Chris Sale. So it's like a 1A and a 1B. What's right for Chris Sale, if he's healthy, let's not put the pressure on him to be at the top of the rotation. Go get guys to be those to be those horses. Let Chris Sale be five or six inning Chris Sale. Get the occasional seven out of him. He doesn't need to go seven and, you know, in a hundred every start. Would that be great? Sure. But let's play the long game. Let's play. I want to have Chris Sale healthy for an October run. Not Chris Sale went down in June. He's going to rehab July, August. Hopefully, ramp it up in September. Then come. I don't want that anymore. Yeah. Hopefully, Breslow, Bailey, Cora, and however else they're going to run this pitching operation. The management of Chris Sale to me, right for me, is one of the. Um, it needs to be a bigger storyline and I hope it starts to become a bigger storyline in the coming weeks. I know right now everybody is laser focused on who are we going to sign? And I say we, but who are the Red Sox going to sign? 
what pitchers is it Yamamoto is it Montgomery is it Snell are we you know are the Red Sox trading for Cease are they doing something that's a surprise and they and they acquire one of the Seattle young arms or they or they give a call to uh, to the Marlins you know is Edward Cabrera one of those players those are all immediate storylines but going into 2024 the health of Chris Sale and how you're going to manage Chris Sale and how that looks to me is a top five storyline that needs to start getting discussed. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I feel like for me, my ideal offseason would be they sign two, whether it's through trade or free agency, they acquire two studs that you can put kind of one and two, and then you can push sale back further in the rotations, you know, like the number three. Um, you know, I feel like that would be ideal and that would kind of put them in the best position to succeed um, next year. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, spent too much time on Chris Sale, so I'm gonna I'm gonna move on from that piece. Um, you know, Andrew Bailey went on and added that um, one of the things that made him and the Giants successful um, together was their work and how they worked collaboratively with one another to reach obviously you know the common goal. Common goal is to win a World Series, but. Um, you know, he was quoted in saying that I view ourselves as coaches, as consultants for the players. We're not to hide the ball or hide information, give them facts. We want them to know how the industry values them. We want them to ma- maximize their earning potential. So I look at that and you think about guys like Brian Bayo, who is, you know, he's the talk of the town. Everybody wants him to be extended and for good reason. Um, I'm okay if the Red Sox don't extend Brian Bayo this winter um maybe around spring training think about it too red sox they took care of they took care of devers you know pretty much once free agency was over you know they they did their business that's you know still could happen but i would like to see one full year of bailey and bayo what he's going to look like under this new pitching clinic program whatever you want to call it there's interest from from Bayo to to be here long term. I want to see how all this com- comes together this season, and then you can you can throw whatever you need to throw at Bayo because presumably you would have gone out and gotten your two arms this year, so you don't need to worry about going to free agency and being like, oh man, I got to go and sign another arm again because this happened. You've gotten you've gotten two of the arms. Yeah, you might tweak it and maybe go after player X and you you sign him or whatever, but. You can go into the offseason and being like, you know what? I'm going to attack it. We're going to get Bayo now extended next year because this is how he responded, you know, away from the Dave Bush program and into the Bailey and Breslow, um, you know, process. Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like we, especially this year, Bayo showed a lot of good signs. We showed they still have some things to work on. Um, I'm excited to see how Bailey, you know, helps him take his game to the next level, which is I kind of agree that I'm not going to be like torn up if they don't give him an extension this spring training if that waits another year um i'm just mostly excited up. some people are going to be torn up there are there are some there are some folks that are going to be torn up by that and I, it's just like i i know like you just you want that news because you want to get that just out of the way because there's that yeah. doubt and that fear that creeps up and being like ah oh, well you know we went through this whole nonsense with xander and this whole nonsense with with devers i don't know about you but it feels different for me right now when it comes to the red Sox and the front office there's a lot more optimism I don't want to. I don't want to get sidetracked, but carry on. Yeah, no, I disagree with that. I would. I would want to see 
uh, Bailey and Bayo work together for at least one year before they hand out that extension because yeah, it's probably going to be seven-ish. You know, we're probably talking seven, eight years. Um, you know, probably between out of probably ballpark it right now between 125-ish, 140 range. If I feel like if they do go like a seven, eight year. I don't know. I don't know if I would give Brian Bayo, who is with the sample size that we've seen seven years, because I am a little concerned about, you know, he, he did have that forearm piece. Um, I wonder if the Red Sox would do, I mean, if he, I guess seven would make sense, but I wonder if, if the Sox would do a less term, I mean, term in the meets money, but I guess seven would make sense. Because I'm trying to think off the top of my head without looking it up, how many years of control that he still has. So let's say yep. it's five. So you're buying. Yeah, it might kind of more. Two. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking more in terms of, you know, whatever he had left, whether it be four or five, then you tack on like a two, three, you know, extra years to that. Yeah. No, I I, I guess that makes sense. I, I'm going to pull it up right now. Um. I mean, you know, because I guess the same thing you could say too, because you're gonna with um, what's his face there? He plays first base. Oh, Casas. Yeah, Tristan Casas. Um, he doesn't become a free agent until 2029. So you have like five. You have yeah. So you got four. Yeah. So honestly, I would say six years at that point. I would offer a six year deal. Yeah. But six, seven, it's, you know, it's semantics. I think it comes down to what does the money look like at the end of the day? Yeah, that's true. And I feel like that's another reason why I know people want the extension to happen, you know, happen as soon as possible. But you know, kind of like we just alluded to with them being under contract till 2029, it's not like something that they, that they like need to do, you know, in the coming months. Like you can wait, you know, you can wait a little bit on that. True. I, and I would, I, that's just me. I would wait. I don't think there's an immediate rush. I, you know, the, for me, the rush is go out, let's get those arms, get a second baseman, probably add another lefty or two to the bullpen. And then once you've addressed that, I would really put a premium and emphasis on that depth that you're going to need in the upper levels, because outside of Brendan Bernardino and Joe Jakes, the Red Sox have, those are the only two lefties on the 40 man roster. You're, you're really thin overall. Um, you know, one of the guys that they had down in Worcester last year and Brendan nail um, is not expected back. He's a minor league free agent, fully expect that he's going to end up with another organization. Um, you know, it's very rare that you have guys that spend five, six, seven years in one org and then come back. It, you know what I mean? That are just minor leaguers for that, for that perspective. So I don't think he'll be back. Um, so, and I, and I know a lot of times fans, they will, they'll scoff a little bit at the minor league moves, but once, once you've taken care of business at that major league level, really shifting and adding that proper depth and getting those guys that are going to need to come up in the pinch, you know, when you lose, you know, you lose someone for two weeks, that's going to go on the IL for whatever reason they got COVID or, you know, they pulled a hamstring or something, you know, something stupid happens. Um, it's good to have that proper that proper depth. So you're not having Bobby Dahlbeck play shortstop at any capacity or circumstance at the big league level. Is a nice tool to have in your back pocket. 
yes, it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't want I don't want that happening for the Red Sox. You know, what I mean the Red Sox continue to develop, continue to preach the versatility, but that versatility and that option really needs to be, you know, that thinking needs to go by the wayside to an extent. Yeah, you know, and and stop trying to be cute with some of the stuff. Um, to continue on with Mr. Bailey, the other big thing that came out of the of that press conference um, was the fact that that Andrew Bailey and Craig Breslow talked about this exact scenario that just happened. Breslow and him were in the with with together uh, with the Red Sox and. Um, we're in the bullpen discussing that, you know, what it'd be like one day to maybe be a general manager. And Bailey was like, yeah, I'd love to be your pitching coach or some sort of coach. And all of a sudden now that actually truly happened, it's, it's crazy how certain things like that align for you and, you know, where the stars align and all that shit, um, I guess, but you know, the fact that that actually happened, you know what I mean? The fact that you know, he quoted saying the life's too short, turned on opportunities like this. I think sitting in the bullpen with Craig over the parts of five seasons, three with Oakland, two in Boston, <laughs> teammates and talking about how we were going, how he was going to be a GM. And I was like, well, I'll be the bullpen coach, pitching coach, manager, whatever you want. Boom. That happened. Um, eerie, but also, you know, in, in at the end of the day, those are, those are some cool stories that sound corny or cliche you can't be romantic about baseball but that i think falls under that no i agree i feel they're both kind of perfect the roles they've taken on with the red Sox. i feel like bailey was one of the best pitching coach options out there that the Sox could have possibly hired and Breslow's obviously uh well reviewed in baseball he's one of the smartest people in the game um so, you know, it just worked out perfectly. And I feel like the Red Sox are in very good hands with them both in the, in the positions that they're in. Yeah, I think I think Andrew Bailey is a uh, slam dunk hire for the Red Sox. Um, I think so far they've done well this offseason. Andrew Bailey, pitching coach, Craig Breslow. Um, I know, you know, there's other names that people would have preferred, but in the in, – there's an old saying that sometimes the best trades you make are the ones that you don't make. There's also a reason why a lot of these people, these executives, they bowed out. They really, you know, either they weren't interested or whatever it might be at one point, And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. At one point, Theo Epstein was not Theo Epstein. You know, he had it, you know, he had his hand in a lot of things with, with the Padres before he came over to the Red Sox, Craig Breslow had his hand in things before he came over from the Cubs not saying that he's going to be Theo Epstein. He hasn't won anything yet, but let's let's give him the opportunity to go ahead and, and try to be successful. With that, if you have not checked out the To The Show We Go uh, baseball podcast that we have, um, Joe Jakes was on the podcast a few episodes ago, and he was asked about Craig Breslow and um, – Jake's said uh, that he thinks it's awesome and that I'm going to quote him here. Uh, maybe he will feel a little bit more of a connection to me. He seems like a great hire. And when it, and it comes across that he knows what he's talking about. He's also a Northeast guy, which doesn't hurt. What I like about that quote, and he's not the only player that has come out and talked about this publicly 
these players are respecting the fact that he's played the game. Heim did not play the game. Heim Bloom is your prototypical nerd. He's your guy that's sitting in front of the computer and he's playing, you know, fantasy baseball and, and using fan graphs to figure this whole thing out where, yeah, you know, Breslow is a nerd. He straight out told us in that press conference, but in this respect, he's played the game. He's going to have the respect of players. It feels like he's going to have a the pulse of what's going on is going to be a little more aligned to what the players are going to be looking for. Meaning, are you in it at the all-star break of the trade deadline? And when you know you need a reliever, are you going to go get the reliever? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of one of the reasons why I love the Breslow hire. I feel like he can relate not only to the players, but also playing in Boston and the ex- expectations that come with that, especially Billy as well. Um, you know, they know they both know that it's a very demanding market. Um, I feel like with Brezza, like you said, he has he's very analytical, but you also get the other half where he's been in this situation before. He knows what it takes to win a championship. In Boston, being the clubhouse, um, he knows how much scrutiny, you know, every move he makes is going to be on, whether it's the fans or the media. Um I feel like kind of just like Bloom, that's something that, you know, didn't have that, you know. Um, that's, I feel like, one thing that makes Presley unique um, and kind of suited for this this situation. You know, he knows what he's getting into in Boston. He's dealt with these fans before. Um, so, you know, he knows the high standard that he's not only going to be held to by ownership, but also by the fan base. Yes. Um, to also, um, to piggyback to... Uh, Jake's um, also talked about how he's excited that Bailey's another Northeast guy. Um, he that Jake's works out with Anthony Scalfini um, in the off season, and he played under Bailey with the Giants. Scalfini talked very highly of him. Um, so, you know, again, these connections that the it, the players are. It feels like the players are at ease that it's almost like for me, they've taken a step back and said, okay, the, you know, the ownership group is attacking this in a different way. We're getting guys that used to play guys that are well-respected throughout the game. I'm not saying the bloom wasn't, but, um, but I think so far these little, these little W's that the Red Sox have made are going a long way with, with these players. And again, they're not going to go publicly out and say, oh, this move sucks. Um, but when you're when you're sitting and you're listening to these players and you're recording with them on a on a Zoom or a StreamYard and you're looking at and I'm looking at their faces when they're talking about these players, um, I don't sense that there's any sort of BS. I, I sense that it's genuine when they're talking about um these new hires. Uh we did briefly touch upon in our last episode, which was Yamamoto Yamamoto posted. Um Yamamoto again, was posted in our, we talked about that in our previous episode. You can check that out over on Apple podcasts or Spotify. Um, but there was uh, a little bit of an update with the free agent Japanese right-hander and that his agent, Jason Wolf, Joel Wolf, rather, sorry, uh, spoke with, uh, Yahoo sports in Japan and reaffirmed a, um, column that Ken Rosenthal put out last month, but, he has no preference on where he plays. I know a lot of people have been speculating that he's going to want to play on the West Coast. Yamamoto just wants to play in the majors. He has zero preference on where he goes. Um, there's about 15 teams 
that have shown interest in the free agent um, and that he's open and okay with being on a team of Japanese players, which when you start to think about that with the Red Sox, with Yoshida, you do have the Mets with, with uh, Senga. With that being said, the Ken Rosenthal article that had it where he talked about how he was okay with playing with Japanese players. That was a Mets article. And, um, really makes me say that I think the Mets are, are, are serious contenders for him. John Heyman was on, uh, was on a bleeper report, um, Twitter feed thing today. Um, and he talked about how he thinks that the Dodgers could go out and sign Shohei Otani and Yamamoto. The Mariners went and made a splash and they moved more money off the books. Are the Mariners looking to free up cash and maybe get in on, on the sweepstakes and add him? I think the Yamamoto dynamic is going to be super interesting. The other piece to pull out of it, though, is he's in no hurry to sign. He doesn't intend to go to the, the meetings down in Nashville and he's going to sign after those meetings. So we're going to have another 14 days of this Yamamoto drama so to speak, where he's going to, where he's going to go, where he's whatever. The only thing that I really pull out of all this was that the preference piece was finally addressed to say, Hey, look, baseball, he'll play anywhere. Yeah. I mean, that was messed out to me too. I wasn't kind of surprised by that. Um, I think it does help the Red Sox in the sense that he said, no, it doesn't mind playing with Japanese players. Um, we know the Red Sox need, you know, top of an arm in the rotation. And he's obviously one of the better options out there, opposed to, you know, probably Montgomery Snell would probably be some of the other guys. But if you want a real true ace, someone who's really going to make headlines, it's probably him. So that's just me interesting to see that develop, um, you know, especially with it's probably being a more open pool with those comments that probably some people consider. And it's just going to be fascinating to see that develop. Um, you know, especially as other free agents start to sign, we already saw Nola, you know, go back to the Phillies. Um, it'll be interesting to fall, see more chips fall into place and how that affects, you know, big arms like him, um, in the coming weeks. Yeah. So that was really our Yamamoto update. I, I think we'll probably do more Yamamoto updates on these podcasts until he signs, because I'm sure other little nuggets are going to drop unless he signs before that date, I would be surprised, but you never know. I mean, money talks at the end of the day. Um, all right, we're going to jump into our last segment here on the, on the, on the episode. And uh, it's going to be, you have an option right now and to choose th- out of these three sluggers that I'm going to name. And first off, this was in uh, an article that was on MassLive.com by Christopher Smith. Basically, just you know, power bat sluggers that could fit the Red Sox um, in some capacity. I'm not going to name Justin Turner. Okay, we're we're going to exclude him from this list. Your options to choose from are Jorge Soler, Reese Hop- uh, Hoskins, or Lord uh, Lord Escorial Jr. You have your option to choose one of those three batters to come in and be on the Red Sox. We'll call it two, three-year deal, whatever it might be. Of those three, who makes the most sense for you? And do you even think the Red Sox should try to get either, any of those three players? That's actually a very good question. I mean, I'd probably go with 
probably still uh, yeah probably still there um i think he gives you a big impact bat uh we've seen his power in miami um you know wherever he's been so i probably go with him i mean hoskins is another interesting candidate just because he will probably be a guy that will sign a one-year prove-it type of deal you know if he gets back to what he was before his injury with the phillies that kept him out last year that's a 15 to 20 homer guy to put in your lineup um so he'll be an interesting piece but of those three i'd probably go Solaire. Just because of his power, and I think he's in. He hits like 280 at Fenway in his career, if I'm not mistaken. I think he has done pretty well. Um, so you know he could be a pretty good fit in the lineup, especially if you trade, you know, Verdugo. Um, you know, depending on how that outfield plays out in the next couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, Soler hit 36 bombs last year in 137 games. Um, you know, he's gonna strike out a ton. He's going to strike out a ton. He does walk, though. He walked um, 11.4% of the time. Um, He's going to strike out a bajillion times at the plate. But the Red Sox, their offense was was potent last year, and we know that. They are in need of a right-handed bat, but that was even before, in my opinion, Justin Turner becoming a free agent. The Red Sox need someone else in that lineup that can that can mash so devers can get some pressure taken off of him now solaire of those three to me is that guy out of those three players um i would still rather see the red Sox if they're going to try to do something wild and crazy to me go get tatis and that's a young bat that you can just boom with devers yeah our him peppering the monster, I think it would be just, I, I think it would be orgasmic. But um, with the respect of Soler, you know, you're going to be able to get some outfield from him. But he's probably going to have to play left field. He's probably not your right fielder. And we know how they feel about that right field, center field. It's basically two center fielders. Um, I do like Guriel though. But Guriel to me is next level down. He's not really that threat. I think he's a good, probably six, six batter on a really good loaded lineup from top to bottom. Um, I don't have the concerns of Ohaskins coming off the ACL. I, I think that's going to be fine. I just think it's more of the fact that he can just DH and play first. And yeah. I think the Red Sox are going to value that versatility where, you know, can you play some other spots? <laughs> but wow, what should I pop in there? Um, I think Solaire of those three is the is the right option. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I feel like kind of like you said, um, you would definitely take a lot of prote- protection off of Devers. Um, you know, he's got that. Regardless of his strikeouts, you can count on for at least 25, 30 homers. And I would it'd be interested to see um what his doubles total is you know, after year of using the green monster. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I think that, you know, Solaire would hit some massive bombs over the monster. Uh, there'll be a lot of, a lot of clips and highlights that Twitter fans are going to get excited about. Um, comes down to money. What does that look like? What's the deal look like? You know, is he willing to take another deal similar like he had in Miami where, you know, it's a, you know, four-year deal, but there's opt-outs depending on performance and things along those lines. 
Um, just, you know, something to think about because the Red Sox are going to, they're going to need to address that, that power bat piece at some point. And Solaire is, is I think out of those three is a name to, uh, to keep an eye on just not really high level there, just more of us kind of spitballing. So, uh, that is our no friends giving episode since again, our, uh, our additional co-host did not, uh, did not make it on this episode. Thank you.